2 Kings 3, 6 through 25. Let's go to the word of the Lord this morning. And King Jehoram, Jehoram went out of Samaria at the same time and numbered all of Israel. And he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab hath rebelled against me. Wilt thou go? Wilt thou go with me against Moab to battle? And he said, I will go up. I am, thou art, my people as thy people, and my horses as thy horses. And he said, which way shall we go up? And he answered, the way through the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went, and the king of Judah, and the king of Edom, and they fetched a compass of seven days' journey. And there was no water for the host and for the cattle that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, that the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And, of, and, uh, and one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elijah said unto the king of Israel, What have I to do with thee? Get thee to the prophets of thy father and to the prophets of thy mother. And the king of Israel said unto him, Nay, for the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elijah, Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts liveth before him who I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee nor see thee. But now bring me a minstrel. And it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, Thus saith the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. For thus saith the Lord, Ye shall not see wind, neither shall ye see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water that ye may drink, both ye and your cattle and your beasts. And this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites also into your hand. And ye shall smite every fenced city and every choice city and shall fell every good tree and stop all wells of water and mar every good piece of land with stones. And it came to pass in the morning when the meat offering was offered that behold, there came water by the way of Edom and the country was filled with water. And when all the Moabites heard that the kings were come up to fight against them, they gathered all that were able to put on armor and upward and stood in the border. And they rose up early in the morning and the sun shone on the water and the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. And they said, this is the blood. The kings are surely slain and they have smitten, smitten one another. Now therefore Moab to the spoil. And when they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and smote the Moabites so that they fled before them, but they went forward smiting them. But they went forward smiting the Moabites, excuse me, even in their country. And they beat down the cities and on every good piece of land cast every man in stone and filled it and they stopped all the wells of water and filled all the good trees. Only in Kirhiraseth they left they the stones of, excuse me, left they the stones thereof. Howbeit the slingers went about it and smote it. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you just for our pastor this morning. And I pray, God, you would give him liberty to preach your word, that you would fill him overflowing with your presence and your spirit, Lord, and that we'd be prepared to hear that which you have for us this morning, not just hear it, but do it as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Brother Zach. You may be seated this morning. I'm anxious to preach the word of the Lord here because I do believe I have a word of the Lord for us here at the palace. Uh, we see prior to our text that Ahab, the king of Israel, he had died. 
And after the death of Ahab, the king of Moab refused to begin to pay his taxes of 100,000 lambs, 100,000 rams with wool to Ahab's son, who happened to be the king of Israel at that time, Jehoram. And because of this rebellion of not paying these taxes, uh, this led to the union of three kings. Because Jehoram goes out and he gets, first of all, uh, Jehoshaphat, which was the king of Judah, and he gets the king of Edom, and the three of them make an alliance together to declare war against the Moabites for not paying the taxes to Israel. And, and, and notice, but what, notice what verse 9 says. So the king of Israel went, and the king of Judah, and the king of Edom, so all three of these are together, to go up and make war against Moab. And they fetched a compass of a seven days journey. They went seven days, and there was no water for the host for the cattle or that had or the cattle that had followed them. I want you to notice the words that there was no water for the host or the cattle that followed them. The number of the army or the host was great, and they were thoroughly equipped with all of the implements of warfare, but they were powerless because of thirst. That is very important for us to see. This is a picture as a whole of a church that is thoroughly organized fully equipped with all means of warfare, but utterly helpless because the refreshing streams of God's saving grace and God's saving power is not among them. Man can live and function without a lot of things, folks, but I want to tell you, water is necessary for our survival. And we can have the biggest of army, we can have the mightiest of weapons, we can have the best facilities, we can have the grandest of church, we can have the richest checkbook that there is, we can have a million dollars in the bank, but if the refreshing, if the refreshing streams of God's presence is not flowing within the camp or flowing within the church, then we are powerless. I don't care what we have. I don't care how big and how grandiose things may appear. I don't care how many people that we have. If God is not moving amongst us, we're wasting our time as a people of God. Can I have an amen to that? We are seeing people all across America in these dark days, in these last days, and they're asking and they're searching and they're asking questions like, and they're wondering why that churches as a whole in America America is not having revival. Where is the presence of God? Where are the manifestations of the presence of God like in the days of old? Why is there no manifestations of healings and signs and wonders and divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit like there used to be? People are hungry, they're desiring, they're longing, and they're in search of a church that has the, the true apostolic anointing among it. How many want the true apostolic anointing of the Holy Spirit? How many want to follow the footsteps of Jesus? He who went around doing good and healing all that was oppressed of the devil for God was with him. How many believe greater works than these shall we do because he's went to the Father and he has sent us the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? Then we need to declare that and we need to begin to walk in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. There are churches and people that are sound in doctrine. They're pure in their conversation. And when you say pure in their conversation, that word pure in conversation is a biblical term that is used in 1 Peter that means in the manner in which they live. They're pure in the way that they live. They're holy. They oppose the works of evil, but they yet still live in lack. There are churches all over the place that are good churches. They are good people, but yet they live in lack. And it's not God's will that we live in lack. You know what John says? God wished above all that you would prosper and be in good health, even as your souls prosper. How many knows that God wants us to prosper? God wants the church to rise, and he don't want us to be an anemic church. He don't want us 
to be a weak church. He don't want us to be a church that's struggling. He don't want us to be a church that's setting by and defending itself. We're not to be on the defense. We are to be on the offense. We are to be the church that storms the gates of hell and the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. We are a mighty church. We are a victorious church. We are the glorious church. We are the blood-bought body of the Lord Jesus Christ and it's time that we at the palace begin to recognize it, act like it and walk in it and see the manifestation of the glory of God and see what God's going to do in these last days. If that don't excite you and if that's what you want, I want you to stand to your feet and I want you to shout to the top of your lungs and say, send it down, Lord, send it down. Hallelujah. Yes, you're with me in this sermon today. We're desirous here and it's about to happen. It is happening. Hallelujah. Look at somebody and says it is happening even as I speak. Amen. But you know, many, many of the churches of America are lethargic. They're cold. They're indifferent. They're, they're lukewarm. They're dead as a door handle. They're, they're, just, they, they're, they're mediocre at best. Uh, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power uh, thereof. And you know what Paul said? From such turn away, don't have anything to even do with them. They gather to go through their ritual righteous forms. Uh, they're loyal to their traditions. They follow their ruts, but they never drink from the wells of salvation. They resist and they quench the Holy Ghost. They resist and they quench the Holy Spirit. Can I have an amen? I want you to know they are like the church of Ephesus that John wrote about when he was on the island of Patmos. Listen to this. It'll blow your mind. Unto the angel of the church, when the angel of the church that he's writing to is the messenger or the pastor of the church. So what he's saying, unto the pastor of the church of Ephesus write, these things he that holdeth, he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand who walketh in the midst of the seven gods and candlesticks. I know your works and I know your labor and your patience and I know how that you cannot bear them which are evil and you has tried them which say they are apostles and they are not and you have found them out to be liars. You have borne, you have had patience for my name's sake and you've labored and you've not fainted. Nevertheless, I don't like this part. He says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against you. You have left your first love. Here was a church that was sound in its doctrine. It was pure as it could be scripturally. He says they were able to discern the false prophets and they made them to even be liars. They were able to contend for the faith. When someone got up and done something in a falsehood against scripture, they knew the scripture well enough to combat them. They were a church to live morally upright and held to a standard of holiness. They could not bear them which were evil. They didn't let evil come into the church. They didn't let evil take over. They would not allow it. They could not bear that. In other words, they did not tolerate evil. They were a church that was active in works. The Lord said, I knew your works. I know your labors. They were a church that were faithful. They endured. They were persistent because the Lord said, you have borne, you have been patient, you have labored, and you have not fainted. In other words, they done good works. They were out here serving their community. They were out here doing their thing that they're supposed to be doing. And they had not fainted in it. They were a church that held to their confession. The Lord said, their works were done. Their works were done for my name's sake. They were not doing it for their own agenda. They were doing it for the Lord's sake. But nevertheless, when they were judged, God said, I still have somewhat against you. How can this be with all of the good qualities that the Lord had to say about this church? Matter of fact, their portfolio and their description
description would be impressive to anyone that was looking for a church to join. That would have been a church that I would have probably wanted to join. One that was sound in doctrine. One that was doing labors of works. One that was doing all of this great and mighty stuff. Yet the Lord had somewhat against them. And when I looked at the description of that church and I compared it to my own life, I thought, oh God, if they were sound in their doctrine and they were pure in their works and they were doing it for your name's sake and they were faithful and they endured and all of that, but you still have something. What is it that you might have against me? Where is it that I may be faltering? Where is it that I may be failing? Where is it that I may be coming short? That's what we all need to examine here today. They were just like the description of the three king coalition of our text. They were thoroughly organized. They were groomed and polished. They were fully equipped with all the means of warfare, but they were dying because of a lack of spiritual refreshing. Listen to me, church. They gathered to go through their rituals. They sing their songs of Zion. They were sound in their teaching and preaching. They labored within the service. They had their active worship time, but they held to their traditions. They dwelt within the past, and they never were able to receive anything in their present. Therefore, there was no spiritual movement. There was no forward mobility, and they were dying doing good things, and they didn't even know it. God help us. I know I use this story in other sermons and I have used it in multiple sermons. And I don't want to bore you again, but I want to remind you of something that was said years ago by a woman by the name of Mary Ruth Stone. I was in a camp meeting in Missouri and a preacher got up to preach that night. He said, I, before I preach, I want to tell you, I just come out of one of the greatest camp meetings that I've ever been in my life in Central Florida, or in Florida and uh, said, Mary Ruth Stone was there. And man, when you mentioned her name, you knew that she was going to preach the house down. And I thought to myself, and I never heard her preach, but I heard about her reputation that preceded her. And I thought, oh wow, I'd like to hear the story about her preaching and what she preached on. He said, I want to tell you, we had good services and everybody was anticipating her to get up and just preach the house down. And everybody was ready for that powerful woman of God because everywhere she goes, she has revival. Nevertheless, they said, after the everybody got done doing their worship and every, all the protocol went through and everything. She got up to preach and she took up, they said, and threw her Bible down and real uh, delicately opened it up, put her purse down and then she said, the Lord has only spoken to me of one thing. I'm going to speak those words and I'm going to turn around and then I'm going to go back and sit down because I don't have anything to say. He's not giving you a, me a message. He's just giving me a word for you tonight. And this is what she said. What good is sound doctrine in the hands of a people that don't know what to do with it? She said they're straight as a gun barrel, but they're just as empty as well. And she turned around and she went back down and sat down. And the preacher that was there in that thing, he testified of it at the Missouri camp meeting in the 1980s. He said the power of the Holy Ghost hit that place and men of stature, mature men, and women begin to run to the altar under the conviction of the Holy Ghost and they fell down before God
God and there was a wave of his glory that went over that congregation like never before and I'm here to tell you I want to be holy in my conversation I want to be laboring for the Lord I want to be sound in doctrine but more importantly I need the refreshing streams of God's marvelous Holy Ghost I need a touch of the spirit of a living God because it's in him we live and we move and we have our being and without him we can do nothing can I have an amen oh somebody give me a shout in this house Oh, lift your hands for a moment. Honor the presence of God. Oh, Holy Spirit, have your way. Woo! Praise your name, Holy Father. Mm-mm-mm. Thank you, Lord. By looking at this church, their singing was the highest of quality. Their preaching was of the soundest of words. Their service was of a holy reverence. It was all under the name of the Lord. And their church was professionally organized in the highest degree. They were multi-talented, but they were dying of thirst. There was no drinking of the spiritual drink. They were not partaking of the Holy Ghost. Are you listening to me? Thank God that we at the palace are organized. It's very important to have structure. We're well equipped, we're talented, we're sound in doctrine, we're pure in our walk and our actions. Amen? Thank God for that. Thank God that we're saved and we're brought into a spiritual structure and we're built upon spiritual foundations. We're built upon the foundations of the apostles and Christ being the chief cornerstone. Thank God of all of that. Thank God that we have a testimony to look back to. We have an experience that we can say, this is when we were saved. This is when we were filled with the Holy Spirit. But just following the procedures of the past, mimicking the services of yesteryears, copying the procedures, going through our traditions will not suffice. We can only live in the past for a while. We can't live on yesterday's blessings forever. There's not a single one of you that go home and just keep eating the same old leftovers over and over and over and over. As a matter of fact, I'm getting tired a little bit of leftovers in the church. I don't tolerate them. Jenny knows if she puts something up in that refrigerator, if, if it's dependent upon me to eat it, it'll probably go to ruin. I'm just not a leftover man. When I get my belly full of something, I'm full of it. Can I have an amen? I don't want it again. And I want to tell you, that's the way it ought to be in the church. When you get a touch of something, that satisfies momentarily. But you don't want the same old thing over and over and over. It's time to venture out and see what God's got new for you every single morning because his mercies are new every day. It's time that we quit trying to live off of stale bread. When they tried that, coming out of Egypt, the worms would come and devour the bread because God didn't want them to eat old stale bread. They'd gather enough up on one day for the next day but the last day, the next day leftovers would be ate up by worms. God don't want you to eat leftovers. God wants you to have fresh bread every single day. God's got a manna pot. God's got a move of the Holy Spirit, a fresh and anew for the church every day. Oh, lift up your hand and receive from the Lord right now. 
We can only live in the past for a while. We can't live on yesterday's blessings forever. We can talk about them, glean from them, testify, preach about them, but we have to receive something fresh to new from the Lord. The enemy could care less if we know of him, know about him, but it's time that we possess him in a fresh way. It's time that we manifest it. This generation needs to see the manifestations that I seen when I was a child. I've seen the manifested presence of God. I've seen his miracles. I know what it's like to lay hands on the sick and they recover. Come on, somebody. I know what it's like to see blinded eyes open. I've seen it with my own eyes. I know what it's like for a cripple to get up and walk. I've seen it in my own ministry by the laying on of my own hands. I know what it's like to see the manifested presence of God. And everybody, I've heard people say, tell that story that God done back there in your earlier years. Tell the story when you was a, a young man just got saved and, how, and, and, and tell them about the things that you've seen that I've used. You know what I'm taught about telling about the old stories. I need a new story to tell. I'm ready to have a new, a new encounter, a, a, a new story, a new experience to tell this generation. But I don't want to just tell the generation about it. I want them to see it. Can I have an amen? Here they stand with all the things needed for warfare, but not enough strength to fight all because they lacked of water. They're parched. They're dry. They're without any strength. I don't know if you've ever been like that before. Years ago, when I was a young boy, prior to Calvary, we snuck into a hunting lodge area. Some of the best hunting in southeast Missouri. We waded out in that old swamp, and we were duck hunting. And all of a sudden, the owners in the game warden started chasing us. Have you ever tried to run with hip boots on? That's hard, but you think what's even harder is run with hip boots on that leaked and they were full of water. It's November. It's cold. We're in the middle of the slough. The boats were coming. The game wardens were coming. We had our shotguns, our waders full of water, and a tow sack full of ducks. And everybody's saying, pitch the ducks. And I said, oh, no, we're not pitching the ducks. And we're running and we're running and we're going and we're hiding and we're scheming and we're going through this thicket and through that thicket, hiding in that brush. We finally get to a, the levee. And I said, now, guys, you know they're going to be probably on that levee somewhere, so we're going to have to cross that ditch somehow. And we got to the ditch and we crossed the ditch and we ran and we ran and we ran. And finally, we couldn't go no more. I thought I was going to have a heart attack. And you know how you have a little bit of panic. You're hot. You know, boy, I'm pulling covers off my coveralls. I mean, we got enough clothes on that because of the coldness. And I know what it's like to sit there and think, man, I, I got to have something to drink. And, and we can't hardly breathe. And we had went as far as we could go. Thank God they didn't go as far as we did. They didn't catch us that day. God's full of grace, isn't he? But I remember pulling my clothes off in the middle of November and stripping down and the other men too. And there's a big pool of water there in that old ditch and boom, we hit it. Woo, it was cold and it was refreshing. This is a ditch in Dudley, Missouri where all the sleuth, I grabbed me a handful and started drinking. It's a wonder there ain't no telling what all I drunk that day. But I'm here to tell you 
That was some of the most refreshing water that I've ever, didn't taste good, but it was some of the most refreshing water I've ever had. And I'm here to tell you the church is parched. I'm here to tell you that the church as a whole is thirsty. The church as a whole, they're sitting there and they're parched and they're dry and their tongues are cleaving to their mouths and they're dying as a result, not of evil intent, not of evil association, not because they're not sound and dark, but they lack the refreshing from the presence of God. They may have been protected from the enemy due to their armor and their warfare, but notice they were not perishing from without. They were perishing from within. Moabites were not attacking them. Matter of fact, they were afraid of them. They were just surrounding them, holding them back from the water supply. They were big in size, their garments polished and ready, their weapons pointed and aimed, but they lacked spiritual zeal and power to do, do battle in conflict. And I want to tell you, as a whole, the church is well organized, it's well groomed in America, it's well polished, well, well structured. There are churches that is not bad or evil, but yet on the flip side of the coin, there is no spiritual warfare in churches. It's almost been abolished. They don't even know what it is because we're so dry and we're so parched that we're just sitting in our land and we're full of fear and anxiety and worry about the upcoming events. I'm not afraid. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Perfect love casteth out fear. It's time that the church realize whatever comes, hell or high water, we're going to stand up and be the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. We're not backing down. We're not hiding. We're not running. We're not putting our head under a pillar as if we don't know what's going to take place. I'll tell you what's going to take place. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We are going to conquer and prevail over our enemies. Hallelujah. Now, they were just sitting there all because of a lack of water. They liked the refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And the element of the spirit was not among them. It's not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. You know, the enemy could care less how much we have church as long as we don't connect with God. Amen? It was Peter that said in Acts 3, 19, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. We can encourage one another, edify one another, build one another up in the faith. But nothing really is going to take place in the area of refreshing unless the presence of God is poured out. We need the Holy Ghost. We need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost, afresh and anew. Hey, are we Pentecostal around here or aren't we? The palace of praise needs the Holy Ghost. We need to be bathed in the presence of the Lord. Even in the Old Testament, David wasn't satisfied with a half measure of God's spirit. David knew the dangers of a faith that had gone stale. Matter of fact, listen to what he said in Psalms 51, verse 10 through 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Listen to this. Cast me not away from your presence and take not the Holy Spirit from me. Restore or renew unto me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. David said, man, don't take your presence away from me. Don't take the spirit away from me. Don't block my name out of the Lamb's book. Don't take the Holy Ghost from me. That's what he said. But uphold me with that spirit. 
Strengthen me, restore unto me the elements of the refreshing from the presence of God. Don't take the joy of my salvation away from me. Throughout the Psalms, we see him continually seeking a fresh touch from the Lord. All through the Psalms. Look at Psalms 42 for one example and consider the hunger of David's zealous and reverent heart. Listen to what he says in Psalms 42 verse 1 and 2. As the deer penneth after the water books, so penneth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? David longs to be in his presence and he wants to see the beauty of the Lord manifested. He wants to appear before him. He longs to just sit in the presence of God. David also gives us hope in the face of adversity and in the time of darkness. In Psalm 72, I wish I had time to read all the different Psalms, but he says he shall come down like rain upon the mown grass as showers that water the earth. If you go look at the content of what he's saying in that scripture, it's in a time when Satan darkens minds with evil deception and darkness blankets the earth that David actually says, it's then you're going to see testimonies rise up out of the earth. He said right in the middle of the dark times, dark times of deception and the hideous times, the worst of times, he said, it ain't over. He said right in the middle of those darkest times of your life, you're going to find out that there's going to be testimonies come out of it. You may be thrown in jail like Paul and Silas, but at the midnight hour, your darkest time, there's going to be an earthquake that's going to set you free. Come on, somebody. You know, you may be thrown in the lion's den, but the next morning when the king comes and says, oh, Daniel, how are you? I'm doing fine, big boy. For the Lord has shut the mouths of the lions. You may be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You may be thrown in the fire, but you'll find the fourth man in the fire with you. And we could go on and on and on, but I'm here to tell you, we are living in some hideous times. We are living in some dark times. We're living at the midnight hour, the last hour, the 11th hour. But I'm here to tell you, darkness is not going to prevent the testimonies of the Lord to spring up in the midst of darkness. Notice when the rain will fall and it falls upon, where it falls? It falls upon the mown grass and he makes that mown grass live and grow again. This speaks of a time when it seems that we've been cut down, knocked down, ran over, pushed back, overcome, hindered, buffeted. We've all been hindered. We've all been buffeted. We've all been, we've all suffered losses and we've been been hurt and wounded in our lives. But yet that's when the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out upon sons and daughters and the church is going to come alive. That's God's promise. While we're sitting here, people are saying, but you don't know, you don't understand the times we're living in. David understood the times that was coming. He said, right in the time when you've been mown down, when you've been shoved back, when you've suffered loss. He said that when you've been pushed around and you've been a doormat for the enemy. He said, it don't matter how dark of the times may appear, it's then that testimonies is going to start rising up out of you. Listen to what Isaiah taught about Sataha. Listen to what Isaiah 60 and 2 says. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. He said, yes, darkness is going to literally blanket the whole earth. And he says, it's going to gross darken the people. They're going to be dark in nature. They're going to be evil. They're going to be ugly. They're going to be your enemies. They're going to seduce. They're going to, they're going to fight. They're going to oppose. They're going to be jealous. They're going to be full of strife and anger and all of the works of the flesh. But he says, but the Lord shall arise upon thee and his glory shall be seen upon thee. It's right in the middle of the dark times that God's about to expose his greatest light. Right in the middle of the bad times, God's going to show the goodness of God. Right in the moments of danger, God's going to come tiptoeing across the earth and he's going to bless and kiss his saints and clothe them with righteousness and seal them with the Holy Spirit of promise.
flesh. God's on the move. Zion is about to travail. Years ago, when me and my wife, my wife and I, we lived near a place called Peaceful Acres. It's out here east of Poplar Bluff in the lowlands. The grass grew rapidly there due to the moisture. And you had to constantly mow and you had to constantly put up with them little plagues called mosquitoes. I'd put that blade down as far as I could put it down. And my intent was, I'm gonna kill this grass. Come on, somebody, you mow it one day, two days later, you had to mow it again. Anybody live out there? God have mercy on you. I'd put the blade down as far as I could and in the hot heat of summer, I'd say, surely I'll kill it this time. I remember one summer was unusually dry and I thought I had, over the years I'd tried to conquer that yard and I'm telling you, you let it go a week or even four days, man, you wasn't, you wasn't mowing the yard, you were belling hay. And the mower choked down and died and you'd have to get off and start, man, if you'd be so mad. And so this one summer, I thought, man, I finally conquered. It was over 100 degrees in the shade and we hadn't had no rain in weeks and I shaved it as low as I could get it and went over it and over it. And the grass turned brown and bare spots began to show up in the yard and the grass began to look like it died and you walk across it and instead of it being, you know, cushy, it was crunchy. And I thought, man, I have succeeded. Woo-hoo-hoo. I planted trees everywhere hoping the shade would choke it out. And Jenny was so upset at me. Look what she done to our yard. Just look at that. You know, that's gonna look, oh, it's gonna look so bad. We're gonna look like, and she just started in on me. She's upset because she liked the yard. Well, she wasn't the one mowing it. And then one day, a thundercloud come out of nowhere. And it rained that afternoon, just, just a, a light shower. It wasn't a heavy shower, but a pretty good shower. The next morning, I get up to go to work. That old brown, withering, dry grass had already, in just less than an eight-hour period, had begun to turn green and begin to spring up to life again. This preacher almost cussed. Come on now. I looked up there, I said, you gotta be kidding me. I mean, just overnight. Just, just the ground absorbed the water, and that grass just went like that, and all of a sudden, the green spots appeared overnight. I'm not exaggerating. I was so upset, and what appeared to be dead was just in remission. What appeared to be barren, life began to move in the tomb. Come on, somebody. What appeared to be over, it was just a fresh beginning. And this is exactly what God is presently doing to the churches across America right now, even as I, everybody said, where is revival? Where is, what, where is God? Can he not prepare a table in the presence of our enemy? Can he not help us in our hour of distress? I'm here to tell you he's resurrecting the churches of America. He's giving them resurrection life. And I'm telling you, get ready. Life is springing up in the church at the palace of praise. Amen. He's pouring out his spirit upon those that have been cut down, abused, and hurt, and wounded, and disgusted, and frustrated. Never seen so much frustration, and depression, and anxiety in my life. There's new beginnings on the horizon. There's life in the midst of all this barrenness of the last day. Don't lose your hope. 
It was God that said in Ezekiel 34 and 26, and I will make them the places around about my hill a blessing. Did you hear that? Let's analyze it. And I will make them the places around my hill a blessing. How many wants to be in the blessing of the Lord? Then get around his hill. He's not made every place a blessing. Are you catching it? Watch. And I will make the places around about my hill a blessing. And I will cause the shower to come down in his season. Say in his season. Not our season, in his season. And there will be showers of blessings. Showers of blessings. You know, when I was a little boy, it'd rain and we'd get out in the rain, we'd play in it, we'd dance and we'd get in the mud and have mud fights. Everybody'd see us, man, when it rained, we'd be out there just having the grandest of time. And I was sitting there thinking one day when I was watching the little children over in Africa and they were playing out in the rain, it was raining there. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord gripped me and said, they're not, they're not playing in the rain for the same purpose that you played in the rain. They're playing in the rain because they've never had no rain. That's survival for them. They're celebrating. And I want to tell you, we need to quit playing around with God's blessings and start understanding that that's for survival. Amen? But notice this, the blessings isn't promised just anywhere, but God promised to bless, and he desires to bless his holy hill. His holy hill doesn't just represent his church. It represents the church that's lifted up in heavenly places in Christ. He's elevated to the hill of God. The holy hill represents the place of contact, the place of connection, the place of relationship, the place of intimacy, the place of worship. It represents the altar experience. This is where God meets you at, at an altar of prayer. It represents the people that are crying out, those that are seeking him, those that's hungry and thirsty. Isn't that what Matthew 5 and 6 says? Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Y'all can say whatever you want. You can be offended if you want to be offended, and it's not my intent to offend anybody. But I'm just going to state fact and truth to you here today. If you've never been up around these altars on a regular basis, you're missing out. You can go home. You can build your own altars. You can have your little prayer time back there wherever you want. But there is a difference in a people coming and presenting themselves in the congregation of the righteous as a whole unit coming up around an altar seeking the face of God. There's a different level of presence and a different level of experience up here than there is out there. Say what you want. I was talking to Tim O'Field the other day and he was telling me about someone that had talked to him and he said, everybody's wanting to down the church and how that the church needs to get mobile. He said, we all know we need to be mobile, but God set up the church as the pillar and the ground of truth, the vehicle, the tool that God uses in order to bring in the harvest. He said, I asked a congregation several times. He's got a massive congregation. How many of you were saved at church and probably 90% of them were saved in a church service? They weren't served, saved outside of the church. They were saved inside of the church. I'm not saying that's good statistics, but what I am saying the true result is there is a level of an anointing and there's a level of movement and there's a level of God's favor upon the church that's not everywhere. The colony of the brethren, the gathering of the saints is orchestrated and commanded of God, not we ourselves. This is an important place. But more importantly, what's more important about the palace is its altar time. It's its experience around the holy, around the throne. That's symbolic, I know. That's why the psalmist said in Psalms 24, verse 3 through 6, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? 
That's where the blessings is commanded. Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands, a pure heart, who's not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and the righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob. Did you hear who it's for? We wonder why is America not having revival? Because what he just commanded. Blessings and showers of blessings is for who? The generation that seek him. That seek thy face, O Jacob. This happens to the generation that seeks him. Those that seeks his face and not just his hand. This generation that seeks for righteousness, he says. Which is, means being right with God. And not just for the blessings of the Lord. It's all right to seek for blessing. But I want to tell you what God's looking for is people to seek his face. This is the generation that doesn't just seek for protection and provision, but they seek his presence. He promised to those that seek his face that he would shower upon them and there shall be showers of blessings. Notice showers is not singular, it's plural. Woo! Ain't a single event. It's not just blessing, it's blessings. God don't want to just come down here and sprinkle us today and say, well, that'll be good for 50 years. Oh, that'll be good for 20 years. How many treat yourself like that? I drink enough Mountain Dew today to float a, float a, a battleship out in the ocean. If you don't believe me, hang around me at restaurants, they'll just bring me a pitcher with a straw. Sometimes they have to fill that pitcher up. I'm not exaggerating, ask anybody. I got a drinking problem. And I'm here to tell you, I get that thing, man, I'll be sitting there on that couch and that Mountain Dew, boy, that'd be refreshing right now. And we'll, we indulge all the times in the things that refresh us. Last night at midnight, I almost refreshed myself with bacon and eggs and toast and jelly. But I crucified my flesh. And I went to bed hungry and woke up mad. Uh-huh, some of you trying to lose weight too. I can see that. But the truth of the matter is, we don't think nothing of indulging ourselves with worldly refreshment. The things that entertain us. The things that make us happy. The things that excite us. But yet when it comes to this thing called the presence of God, well, I know it's some same old people that go up on. Thank God for those same old people. Where are you? Whew, come on, somebody. If you ain't been in a, to an altar in a year, you're, you're, you're missing out. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about God's looking for somebody that is hungry for an encounter like we've never had before. I'm talking about a church that's feeling like they're pregnant. Oh, God, you've got to deliver me. I'm going to help me. God, I'm talking about a people that's starving to get another drink of the refreshments of the presence of God. Amen. But it happens to those that seek his face. All around his heel, it's not just being sprinkled upon or dabbed on. It's being poured out. All I can say is I can hear the abundance of rain coming. I hear it, I feel it, I sense it. I know it's here. It's a promise to us. I'll be closing in just a few moments. It was 
Hosea that gave the prophetic timeline of when these events would take place that David prophesied about in the psalmist and didn't even realize what he was doing. Hosea 6 and 3 says, Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord is going forth as reaped as the morning. He shall come unto us as the rain, as the former rain and the latter rain upon the earth. A prophetic word of a timeline of two outpourings. First of all, everyone will not experience these outpourings. It's going to be on all flesh that want it, but it's not going to be upon the people that don't want it. Because notice, it is only for those who go on to know the Lord. After you have an experience and encounter with God, Hosea says, if you want the outpouring that is to come, then follow on to know the Lord. Continually seek him. It's only those that go on and seek him and to come to know him. It's in that relationship, that relationship that you're going to find him. Jeremiah 29 and 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your whole heart. To those that go on and follow after the Lord, the scripture tells us that you can't even move without God just sprinkling some blessing on you. Woo! Seek, you'll find, he says. Knock, it'll be open. Ask, you're going to receive. God can't even move without wanting to reign upon his saints. Wherever his presence is at, there are showers that are available. He said, his going forth is prepared as the morning. How many know that the other morning I got up and I, I've been trying to keep my yard mowed as much as I can. We got a lot that we got to mow. I try to do it in the morning. Sometimes I got up and I went out there to mow and I couldn't really mow because of the dew. The dew was so, it was just a moisture upon the grass. And, it, and this means that, that, that God sometimes comes down in the form of a dew. It just kind of just springs up on you, catches you in the middle of your night time, in the middle of the dark times. God just sometimes gives you a dew, a residue of his presence. Aren't you thankful for that? Starts out as a dew. It's in the morning time. This is mentioned and referred to as an early rain. How many knows that dew comes early? The early rain represents like a dew, which was Pentecost. Hosea called it the former rain. We know that the former rain in Palestine was for the planting of the harvest. The rains had to come so they have moisture so they could plant their harvest. When the rain was done, they'd go out in the fields and that was the rain to say, it's time for you to plant. Pentecost was the planting of the New Testament church. It's when it was birthed. It was when it was born. Matter of fact, Jesus prophesied about it in John 7, verse 37 through 39. In that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. As the scripture has said, Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water, but this spank he of the Spirit. And then the Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind that filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them clothed in tongues as a fire, and it set upon each of them. That was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That was the planning of the New Testament church. But notice something, folks. That movement has already happened, and it was referred to as a dew or a former rain. If what happened at Pentecost was just a taste, just the amount of a do, what do you think that the outpouring of the Holy Ghost is going to be like in the latter days? Woo! It can't even compare. And the latter day in Palestine, they'd have, you'd have all summer long where there was a lot of heat, persecution. That was what was on the church. A lot of trial. 
And then the Palestine in the latter parts or the earlier parts of the fall, the rains would come in order to take those plants like that old parched mold grass and begin to make it come to fulfillment to yield forth fruit. And that represents the last day outpouring so that Jesus can get ready to harvest his church. That's what the last day outpouring is all about is getting you and I ready for a rapture. But there's going to be a great harvest at that. Now, when I got to thinking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the last day, I, I, I remembered a story that I experienced that I ha happened to have in a Sunday school class in Ninth and Cedar. We were in an old house, and the teacher then was teaching. They're not here no longer with us. They moved years ago. Fabulous teacher. But she said something that just went all over me. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to handle this? I'm a young pastor, I'm in my 20s, and she, someone asked her the question is, why is the third world country seeing way more miracles than what we are in the church of, in the United States? And without hesitancy, she gave her point of view. She said, it's because us Westerners have become more educated and more knowledgeable, and we have now become to the place we don't need the miracles because we are so solid of people of faith. So therefore, we don't need to see the miracles like they need to see the miracles. In other words, saying miracles is for the ignorant and the unlearned. In other words, you can get so mature that you no longer need the presence of God to do miracles among you. That's what she's saying. And I thought, man, I'm glad she's not asking me what I think because I can't lie. And she said, Brother Miller, what do you think? Isn't that true? I said, I think when we get that kind of a mentality, we're too big for our britches. The day that we think that we're so well organized and well groomed and well polished and the day that we think that we don't need the presence of God to come down and work in and among us and through us. And not only that, sis, it ain't just about him working that in us. It's about us working that through the world because we are the light and we are the salt and with greater works than these shall we do. Because he go And I just started preaching a sermon. And yet those of you that are agreeing with me right now, a lot of times we agree with what I'm saying, but we're not following through with our actions. We depend upon our talent. We depend upon, well, our tithe and offerings have been pretty good. And we've been holding the budget. And man, look at this place. Isn't this a nice place? We're comfortable. We got nice soft chairs and got great worship. Oh my. We got everything a church would want. We got a connect class. We got a way to get connected and build friendships, find wives, find husbands. Come on. We got everything that we need, man. We got some of the greatest teachers and preachers and man, life groups and you name it, we got it. And we can have it all. But for God ain't moving in it, and it's just our raw talent and our giftedness and our ability. And there's no touch of the anointing. There's no confirmation of the spirit. There's no workings of miracles. There's no real movement or forward mobility. We're dying and don't even know it. Bill Marvin gave me a story and he didn't even know why he was giving me some men. He just started telling me a story. I thought, oh my goodness. Well, that not preach. I'm going to go right along with my sermon. This week he come in. He sat down. 
at my desk and killing some time. I just got time to talk, and I said, yeah, and before long, he got in his story somehow. I don't even know what sparked it. And he said, man, I had a friend one time. He said, every time he had come up to a, a waterfall faucet, he couldn't pass it up. He'd always have to take a drink out of it. He said, if there was one here and one down there, if he's walking down through there, he'd stop and get a drink here and get a drink down there. He said, it didn't matter how many water faucets there was. If he's going to pass by one, it was free drinking. He had to take a drink. And I never said nothing. No one ever said anything. And one day, I guess, just gave the story of why he done it. He said, you know what? Everybody kind of looks at me and thinks I'm weird. Every time I go by a water fountain, fountain I, can't, I can't go by it without taking a drink. And he said, you wouldn't be able to go by it without taking a drink if you'd been through what I've been through. He said, I was over in the Philippines when the Japanese had surrounded us. We had to surrender. They put us out there, us Americans that had surrendered, and put us on the death march called the Baton March. Uh, march. And they marched us. And they marched us. And they marched us. And they were taking us to this concentration camp. And the Philippines would try to throw us water. And they would stop the Philippines. I don't know how they stopped them. He didn't say if they killed them or shot them or whatever. But they would not let us have any water. And their concept was this. Is the more of them prisoners that die between here and there, the less we have to fool with. So ever who makes it will make it. And every who won't, won't. But we're not going to give them no water. And they marched and marched, and finally one would fall out. They'd just leave him to die. They marched and they marched, one would fall out. One would fall out, five would fall out, ten would fall out. And he, with tears, said, I'm just a handful of the survivors. I made it. And when I see that water, I got to have a drink because I don't know what I'm going to be facing tomorrow. I got to have the refreshing today to make it through tomorrow's experience. And I'm here to tell you the same way it is spiritually. I got to have today's blessing so that I can face tomorrow's tribulation. I got to have the touches of Zion. I got to have those love taps. I got to have the reassurance. I got to have that confirmation. I got to have that hymn bearing witness from my spirit that I am a child of God. Come on, somebody. I got to have the Holy Ghost come by and seal me and love me and caress me and, and, and let me know that I'm one of His. I got to have the blanket of the Holy Spirit. I'll never forget John Sugg, who's a man that's one of my friends. He's dad now. He went to Vietnam War and he said, I remember. All my, my hope, my whole baton was there and said all of a sudden, everybody got wiped out but me. And he said, all of a sudden, I said, oh my God, help me. And he said, a blanket came down, just like a blanket. He said, I didn't see it, but I felt it. It was like a blanket. And he said, the bullets were hitting all around me and sand was flying up in my face. And, 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 and I, feel, I would feel that blanket move. And he said, and out of the blanket said, behold, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. It was the presence of the Holy Spirit. We need the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. Here's this big army. 
well-groomed, well-equipped, has the ability for the physical part of it, but they lack drink, and there's a lack of drink. They could not beat the Moabites. The camp began to get upset. Has God brought us out here so that we would be overcome by the Moabites? Finally, somebody in the camp had enough sense to say, which was Jehoshaphat, is there not a prophet in the camp that we might inquire of? And they said, well, there's a prophet in Israel. Happened to be Elisha. So King Jehoram, the king of Israel, who should have known about the prophet, but his dad was a backslidden heathen king, and he was too. Come on. Jehoshaphat, the spiritual-minded man, was the one that brought the attention to it. King of Edom sure wasn't going to bring attention to it, didn't know about it. So thank God for the Jehoshaphats in the camp that's beginning to choir, where's God at in this situation? So they get up and they go and they find this Elisha. And then they say, hey man, we believe, that, you know, they're, they're spilling their guts out to him. And Elisha don't have a word for him. He says, bring me a minstrel. Before I can minister to you, I gotta be ministered to is what he's saying. Before I can give you presents, I gotta have presents. God ain't giving me no rainbow word for you. I can't make it up. I can't conjure it up. I gotta get in the presence of the king in order to give you something. Give me a minstrel. They give a minstrel and all of a sudden the word of the Lord came upon Elisha and said, go out in that valley and dig ditches. Now we're already thirsty. We're already about to part and he's wanting us to go out and dig ditches. Nevertheless, they go back and they dig their ditches. And the next morning when they wake up, them ditches are full of water. There's a part that you gotta do. There's an altar you gotta come down and you gotta dig some ditches. You gotta show them you're hungry. They ain't just gonna come back and fall on you. There's a part you gotta do. There's a labor you gotta, you dig the ditch, gotta fill it with water. You go fishing, Peter, and I'll put the money in the fish's mouth. Moses, you stretch forth the rod, and I'll split the Red Sea. You roll back the stone, I'll raise lash. There's parts we always got to do in this thing. Amen? And they went out and they drank, and you know the story how Moab looked out and seen that they thought the kings were got to fighting each other and killed each other, and they went to attack it. And when they did, they overcome the Moabites. And then you know what it says? They destroyed every fence city. They tore down all of the mechanisms of warfare and safety. They cut all the trees down, all the good trees, all their lumber. They, they went out and they also took stones and marred all of the good ground. I wanna tell you what God done for the three king coalition after they drunk water. They not only conquered the enemy, they totally annihilated them to where they were hindered to ever become anything mighty for years. And you don't just need to just come up here and just get enough of the Lord to just kind of keep in a boxing match with the enemy. You need to overcome him and set him back for years to where he'll never be able to come and, and, and bug you in that area again. Would you stand with me this morning? Ah, oh, I hear the abundance of rain. How many need the presence of the Lord? How many need the Holy Ghost here today? 
I want everybody in this building to say we're on the edge. I'm telling you guys, we're right here. Like if we're right in the middle of the, we've already entered into the threshold. We're not in the outer court. We're not in the foyer. We're in the threshold right at the door of the chambers of the king. God's wanting the palace just to push a little bit harder, dig a little bit more ditches, and he's about to fill us. That's where we're at. We're on the edge. I need your help to press through. Would you come?